This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Another episode of Business by the Numbers. I'm your host, Hunt Demarest, CPA with Parmels and Associates. So I was talking the other day with Matt Fonslow, a fellow aftermarket radio network podcaster, diagnostic tech, and shop manager, and he brought up a great question. He said, Hunt, should techs be LLCs? And it kind of raised a really kind of cool point, but Obviously, the accountant me immediately argued, no, of course they cannot be. You know, there's rules and regulations around this and they're employees. But the more and more I got thinking about this, I think that there is an argument here. And I feel like that the technician and, and what they have to spend and how they're paid is vastly different than pretty much any other employee out there. You know, the cool idea of, you know, where Matt is coming from is Matt comes from the technician standpoint, right? Where a lot of the stuff that a lot of people I talk to are coming from the shop owner standpoint. And obviously me, I'm coming from an accounting background. And, you know, some of the things that happen in this industry, I've become a little bit jaded to because it's really all that I've seen. But when you step back and look at what's going on there, I think that there are some arguments that this could possibly be a designation that some people should make. Um, Now, it's going to be a very rare case, but this is what we're going to talk about a little bit this week. If you haven't checked out Matt's podcast already, Diagnosing the Aftermarket A to Z, I really recommend it. He goes into a lot of cool things. I love the way his mind works, and I love a lot of the topics that he brings up, and I think that you would probably enjoy it as well. So before we get into that, I want to have a quick word from our partners who make business by the numbers possible. Your shop's customers pump their own gas and bag their own groceries, and most of them don't mind booking online or paying you via a live chat bubble in a self-serve universe. Get up to speed and get shopware.com. At Repair Shop of Tomorrow, the focus is on helping shop owners unlock their full potential by specializing in an expert coaching and marketing program designed for your specific shop. For more information about their programs, please visit them at repairshopoftomorrow.com. Before we dive into this, this episode is not meant to be legal advice. It's not meant to be tax advice by any means. You know, this is kind of just a fun dive into the arguments on are technicians really employees or are technicians really contractors? And if we were to be designated as one or the other, what are some of the benefits of this? Now, 99.9% of technicians out there are not contractors. They do not pass the definition of it. And you should not be paying your technician as contractors. So we're going to start off with this. I'm not advocating this, but highlighting some areas of where this could be a good thing and also some areas to look out for. To understand kind of the designation between the two, first and foremost, we got to look at, well, Hunt, what is the major difference here? So the difference here that we're going to be talking about, there's you know some smaller intricacies, but the big one here is how someone is paid, how they report that income. So if you're an employee, you're going to be on payroll, You're going to get a W-2 at the end of the year that reports all of the wages that you earned, plus withholding, stuff like that. However, contractors are not on payroll. Contractors are not treated as employees, and they just get checks throughout the year for whatever they do. Their taxes are on their own. You have to report that at the end of the year on a business tax return or on a schedule on your personal taxes. The big differentiating uh, factors here between an independent contractor and an employee really fall into three different categories as far as the IRS is concerned. Those are behavioral control, financial control, 
and then type of relationship. So behavioral control has to do with mostly hours is what usually comes up when you're trying to make the designation. So an employee has set hours, guidelines, how their work should be completed on it, what time they need to show up, how long they're expected to work, et cetera, et cetera. However, for an independent contractor, they set their own hours, they decide how the projects could be completed, and they kind of go at their own pace. So right off the bat, if we're looking at this one, you know, for most shops, this is already a one failure to this, right? Because I don't think that there's any shops out there that allow their technicians to pick and choose when they want to come in, what jobs they're doing, what jobs they don't do. You're there nine to five, eight to six, eight to four, whatever it might be. You're expected to be there. You're expected to do the work that's more or less delegated to you. Versus a contractor, you know, really of an example of someone in this industry that would be a contractor is maybe specialized people like diagnosticians like Matt, um, mobile programmers, something that a shop would call in. Hey, you know what? We can't figure out this car. So we're going to call in the big guns, someone that's mobile. They come out, they take a look at it, they diagnose it. Maybe they have to program a module or something like that. They do it on their time. They fix it. You pay them as a sublet worker, and then they move on with their day. Now, the next thing here is financial control. And this financial control is the big one here of where it doesn't, you know, where the big argument would come in for technicians being independent contractors. So for an employee, generally financial control means the worker's guaranteed wages are salary, right? So you're here for 40 hours. We have a set rate of $25 an hour. If you're here for 40 hours, you're going to get paid 40 hours at $25 an hour. Maybe you're on salary. Hey, you make $1,100 a week. You show up, you're going to get $1,100 a week. However, for an independent contractor, contractors are definitely either paid a flat fee per project or per hour. Now, for a flat rate technician, the financial aspect of this is going to fall very closely on independent contractor. Hey, you get paid $30 an hour flat rate. So if you flag 30 hours, you're going to get paid for 30 hours. If you flag two hours, you're going to get paid for two hours, even if you're there for 40 hours. Some states have already started to go after this, right? California is a very famous one that more or less they've kind of banned flat rate um, in the conventional sense of it. Now, you can still pay flat rate in California, but there's some things that you got to be careful California is just probably the most popular one that we see, but there's a couple of states that have some intricate rules on this. So as a quick aside here, if you're paying still true flat rate, no overtime or anything like this, it's a good idea to maybe check with your payroll company, check with an HR company, check with your accountant to make sure that you're in a good graces here. Because this stuff is ever changing. And one of the big things that a lot of states are going after is the way people are paid to make sure they're getting paid fairly. And then also, again, to make sure they're paying like an employee, not like an independent contractor. The last one here is the type of relationship. Again, for the technician, it's going to err towards the employee on this side, which means that the employee is receiving benefits, plan, they have a job until they don't have a job. It's not, hey, you got some work today, not tomorrow and stuff like that. It's expected to be an ongoing thing versus the type of relationship for an independent contractor would be, hey, you're here for this week so you can fix this car or you're here and you're going to fix three cars and then you're done and you can do whatever else. Independent contractors are usually contracted on more of a short-term basis versus employees contracted on an almost indefinite basis here. 
These are kind of just the major differentiating points between the two of them. There's other intricacies that come into this, but you can see why most people do not pass the test of being classified as a contractor. We all have bad days when we just turn to someone and ask, how the heck do I fix this? When that happens to you on the business side, which may not be your strong suit, you want someone quick and you want them to be clear. That's exactly what Dan Groen from Detroit Garage found when he peppered the folks at Shopware with questions about how to make the most of its shop management system. As he puts it, they continually solve the curveballs that we throw at them. With seven shops, Dan jokes that he is a demanding client, but that is a sign of a guy committed to his business. Even better, the Shopware support team met every challenge with, in Dan's words, impressive capabilities and vigor. No complaints, no hassles, just a commitment to help Dan through his day. As Dan says, we make each other stronger. Now that's a partnership that works. It is time. Visit GetShopware.com. At Repair Shop of Tomorrow, the focus is on helping shop owners unlock their full potential by specializing in an expert coaching and marketing program designed for your specific shop. Their mission is to coach the owners to focus on growing their bottom line and building a team culture within their business. At the Repair Shop of Tomorrow, a Napa Auto Care endorsed program, they train the owners and the staff what right looks like, so everyone is on the same page and driving towards a common goal. Their coaching program focuses on all aspects of your business so that the owner can step back from the daily grind and start to work on their business and not in their business. For more information about their programs, please visit them at repairshopoftomorrow.com. I have some clients that do have contract employees. A couple of those situations, I'm just trying to think of one. I know one of them that I have is one of their employees, it's actually his second job. So he works for a municipality or something like that and has a full-time job working 40 hours a week. And so the deal my client has with this guy, because this guy works kind of strange hours and strange days, you know, six days on, four days off and stuff like that, is he says, hey, if you want to come in on your days off after hours and stuff like that, whatever projects you do, I'm going to pay you a fat, a flat $50 per hour. You kind of pick your schedule, you bring your own stuff, do it when you can, and I'm going to pay you. Now, as you just probably, you know, fit into the guidelines there, this person qualifies as an independent contractor. Again, depending on the state that you're in, it still might not pass the muster for them, but this person has an outside job. My client's allowing him to come and go when he wants. It's not a set hours. He's using his own tools and it really kind of falls into the independent contractor. The really only other major thing that we see is people contracting outside people for specialty work. Hey, you know what? We don't do any in-house programming. So if I have a PCM module or something like that that needs to be coded, I call this contractor in. He comes in, codes it, leaves, right? Other of my clients that do performance work, they don't have an in-house tuner. They have an outside tuner. They come when they you know have time. They come in, tune the vehicle, issue them a bill, turn around and leave, right? So the big thing here is mostly, does this person have other clients or other customers? And then secondarily, who is choosing the hours? Those are really the two big things that dictate a contractor and the two big things that really forbid most employees from being classified as a contractor. Why do we care about this? Why are we even talking about being a contractor? Who cares? You're getting paid. What does it matter if you're getting paid as a contractor? What does it matter if you're getting paid as an employee? 
There's two major positives about being classified as a contractor. The first one's going to be able to deduct expenses against your income. And a second one would allow you to have your own benefits since you're essentially running your own business at this point. One of the technician's largest annual expense and lifetime expense over this is obviously their tools. So really the reason that this probably came up is in the past, technicians could write off to a certain amount with some limitations, the amount of money that they spent on their tools, uniforms, travel, and training on their personal tax returns. However, after 2018, they got rid of what's called unreimbursed employee expenditures. And so now, as of today, technicians can no longer deduct any of those costs. All those costs that they have to pay for the tool truck, for uniforms, for any outside training and travel that they do, all of those expenses are now coming out of their post-tax income that they get on their W-2. There is no way to deduct that for most employees. However, if you were classified as an independent contractor, you essentially now have your own business. Businesses have income, which would be the money that you're getting paid from the shop, but you also have expenses. So now instead of paying the tool truck after your net check, that tool truck expenses now becomes a deduction for your business. Hey, you need to buy new boots for the shop. You need to buy you know, new clothes, whatever it is. That's now uniform expense for your own business. Hey, you're, maybe your employer doesn't offer any training or you're trying to sharpen your skills and do some training on the side. If you're paying for training as an employee, there's nowhere to deduct that. However, on the if you're a contractor, that now becomes training expense. Same exact thing works for travel. Obviously, these are all the major things that people are already spending as a technician that they would be allowed to deduct if they're a contractor. But just like any small business out there, there's probably some gray areas that would allow them to even reduce their income even further. Another thing that being a contractor would allow technicians to do is since they are now their own business, they can set up retirement accounts for themselves. If you're classified as an independent contractor, you're now technically a sole proprietor. Sole proprietors are allowed to set up their own IRAs, their own 401ks. Even more than that, you're allowed to set up your own health and dental benefits. You know, you could get really creative and get into all kinds of different fringe benefits that could even reimburse all employees for daycare costs. Now, if you're an independent contractor and you have zero employees, you're really the only employee and you can set up some pretty cushy benefits for this. So the positives about being an independent contractor are really mostly on the financial aspect of things, allowing you to deduct expenses, allowing you to kind of dictate what you need to do for retirement, as well as health and dental benefits. It's not all roses here, right? Or if it was, there would probably be a huge uproar and people would be demanding this to happen. So what are the downsides of being a contractor? Now, there are a lot of downsides here, which is why the IRS cracks down on this, as well as a lot of states are starting to crack down on this. Because classifying someone as a contractor that's not truly a contractor, in a lot of cases, has a lot more negatives than it does positives. One of the big negatives here is that all taxes would be now your responsibility. If you're an employee, they're going to have deductions out of your paycheck that should hopefully cover all of your end of year income taxes. If you're a contractor, they are not withholding any income tax. And so all of that tax will should be paid throughout the year in estimates. If not, you're going to have a large tax liability at the end of the year. 
So this got a lot of people into trouble, right? Because if you make $100,000 a year, rough numbers, you're going to be paying about $20,000 in tax most likely. If you make no estimated tax payments throughout the year and you spend all this money, come April 15th, you're going to have a pretty nasty uh, surprise. And now you could be in debt to Uncle Sam. Another thing on this is payroll taxes. So if you're an employee and you look at your pay stub, you can see that you're paying about 7.5% from Medicare and Social Security, which we call payroll tax. So that is actually only half of the payroll tax. The way payroll taxes work is half of them is the employee's responsibility, half of them are paid by the employer. So the employee is paying about 7.5%, the employer is paying about 7.5% to total up to 15%. However, since you're a contractor and you don't have an employer, all of that payroll tax would now be owed by you or your own business that you're running here as a technician. Instead of being called payroll tax, it's called self-employment tax. And self-employment tax is essentially an extra 15% tax tacked on to your income. So if you're doing the math here, if we have a $100,000 contractor, Right off the bat, we're going to lose about $20,000 to taxes, then maybe up to another $15,000 in self-employment tax. It's starting to look less and less attractive, right? Another downside to this is there's no benefits, right? You don't have a company-sponsored retirement account. You don't have a company-sponsored health insurance account. You don't have a company-sponsored disability account. All of the stuff is on you. Now, if your employer doesn't offer, you might be thinking, well, Hunt, there's no major difference. Most shops out there are at least offering some level of benefits, even if they're not going to you know, incur all of the cost of it. More and more people are really offering these benefits to keep their employees around. Another downside to this is there's no workers' rights for termination. And so there is a lot of protection out there for making sure that employees are not discriminated against, people are not unfairly fired, and if they are fired, you know, they're allowed to get unemployment and different stuff like that. Now, if you're an independent contractor, hey, they have no obligation on you. With the beauty of having a contractor is you can say, all right, Sam, you're going to come in, you're going to work in my shop, I'm going to pay you as a contractor. And here we are on Thursday. I got no more work for you. See you. Get out of here. I'm not paying you a cent. So that is probably a big positive for a shop that maybe has, uh, you know, a, a bit of a hectic schedule. Sometimes they have a ton of work. Sometimes they don't have anything. But if you're the employee or if you're the contractor in this situation, you could go from making pretty good money one day to having absolutely no work. Another thing on here is no paid time off. Right. So if you're an employee, you at least probably get some holidays. Hopefully you get some sick time and vacation as well. Right. Time to do stuff with your family, time to take care of yourself if you're sick. However, if you're a contractor, you get paid when you work. If you don't work, if you don't show up, if you don't produce any work for your customers, which would be the shops, you're not getting paid anything. All of that is coming out of your pocket. And finally on here, one of the big downsides is obviously if you're listening to this, you're probably a shop owner. There's other costs that go along with running a business that aren't kind of obvious to an outsider, right? You would have to probably have your own insurance. You know, there's going to be tax filing fees because now you have a little bit more complicated tax return, possibly accounting fees. Because now if you're tracking income expenses, you should be using something like QuickBooks, You know, there's a lot of different things that come into this that are going to be additional costs for this person. At the end of the day, you know, I don't think that most technicians 
fit the bill or really pass the muster to be able to classify it as contractors. And I think the big kind of overreaching thing here really has to do with the cost incurred by our average technician. You know, it is not unheard of for a technician to have fifty, sixty thousand dollars in tools, right? More and more shops that I know about, you know, they're buying scan tools, they're buying some of these specialty tools that are getting shared by their technician. But there's a ton of shops out there that provide absolutely nothing other than a rack. Everything else that you need to do your job, you better bring it or else I'm not going to provide it and you're not going to be able to work for me. And that is one thing that I have always thought from the start of this that is such a strange way to go. It's not really something that you see in any other industry, especially in the trades. So most trades are responsible to bring some level of their own tools But I don't think that there's very many trades out there, maybe other than welders, that have the cost that we see for technician. Think about if you're an electrician. You know, electrician for a hundred bucks, you could probably outfit yourself in order to do your job. I'm probably oversimplifying this. There might be some electricians mad at me, but you got some wire strippers, you got some crimpers, you have some screwdrivers. You're pretty much well on your way to doing pretty much everything that you need to do. You know, if you really want to round up, you really want to get some fancy power tools and stuff like that, maybe you're out of pocket a thousand bucks and that's going to last you five years. Now, a plumber, plumber, very similar thing. Hey, I need a pipe cutter, right? I might need a soldering iron if you're going to be doing copper and stuff like that. But it's not very capital intensive. You don't need a ton of tools to do most of this stuff. If there is bigger tools that you need to do, you're not expecting a plumber to show up with it. An example of that for a plumber is, let's say that you have someone with a clogged toilet. Do you think that plumber is going to go to his boss and say, hey, you know what? We need to go unclog this toilet. And the boss is going to say, well, did you buy your own rotor router? Well, if not, you're not going to be able to clog the toilet. Of course not. They're going to say, hey, we have a rotor router. It's in the warehouse. It's in the truck already. Go ahead and use that so that you can use their, you can do their job. You know, and another thing that I was thinking about earlier today, too, is just look at my business. I have an accounting firm. Imagine how bad of a boss I would look like if I told all my employees that say, you know what? I no longer provide computers for you guys. If you want to come in here and you want to to do people's accounting, you want to do people's taxes, you better bring your own computer. And everyone, if I did, that would be like, Hunt is the world's worst boss. Can you believe that he is pushing that expense onto his employees? That is something that an employer should provide. And my argument back would be is, well, what is it? It's $1,000. And if they ever leave, they can take that with them, right? That's the argument that we have for technicians. Well, if they ever leave, those are their tools they can take with them. But it's, I don't think the actual cost, sometimes it's the principle of it, right? I'm asking them to do something. I need to give them the proper tools to allow them to do their job. I would not attract a single accountant if I made people bring in their own stuff to do this, and we're talking very small amounts of money here, a thousand bucks, 1500 bucks, you could get yourself a pretty nice desktop setup. However, on the flip side, we don't blink an eye when someone is spending $3,000 on a brand new set of impact tools from Snap-on. It's uh, from what we imagine, it's just a cost of doing business. I think that this is just kind of an old habit. I think that this is how the industry has been for so long that a lot of people don't think otherwise. This is not to say that every single shop is running like this. I have started to see shops that are providing more and more tools. 
I've even heard of a couple that do not have their technicians bring in any tools. They provide tools for each of the bays and they say, hey, if there's not something there that you guys need, we will go out and buy that for you. Another cool thing, because, you know, I think that this is probably one of the bigger barriers to entry for technicians or people looking to get into this space is they look at the cost associated because a lot of people will not hire you unless you have your own tools. It's a very hard pill to swallow to go out and buy $5,000 worth of tools to be an $18 an hour grease monkey, changing tires, changing oil and stuff like that. So to kind of combat that, a lot of my clients have been doing some sort of scholarship program that they've called it really cool ideas where they say, hey, you know what? Here's the deal. I want you to get in the door. I want you to start learning this industry. And I know that there's a big barrier here with some of the cost of the tools. So one of my clients here locally had a really cool idea. And so what he did is he can either give someone a 50% scholarship, which means maybe they have some tools. We got to give them a little bit more or 100% scholarship. And what that 100% scholarship does is that gives them essentially a very basic set of tools that will be able to do almost anything that they're going to be asked to do. All that he asks is that you stay with him for at least two years. If you stay with him for two years, at the end of the two years, those tools are you. If you decide to quit after that, you can go, you can take those with you. If you quit before those two years, those tools stay with my client. They're not yours. You have not earned them. And what that has allowed him to do is it's allowed him to kind of break down those barriers of entry to get some new talent into his shop. And then also he's been able to groom and train these people to do this stuff the right way without the expense or the pressure of immediately having a tool truck payment. I think this was a pretty cool idea. Um, I hope that you enjoyed this. And if you didn't enjoy this, I hope Matt did, um, because I know he really wanted me to talk about this. Please share this with friends. As always, if you have questions, comments, or ideas for future episodes, please shoot me an email at podcast at parmelis.com. Thanks again for listening on the Aftermarket Radio Network. You can find all shows on the aftermarketradionetwork.com and on your favorite listening app. You've been listening to Business by the Numbers with Hunt Demarest on the Aftermarket Radio Network. Follow Hunt on your favorite podcast listening app. Let him know what you'd like him to cover. His email is in the show notes. Hunt is all for advancing the aftermarket.